we have to shout it out. We have to speak it out, Lord. God, you are good, Jesus. You're faithful. Come on, look at your life right now. Come on, look at the goodness of God in your life right now. It's easy to look at the negative, but this morning we're not going to think about that. We're going to think about the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. Lord, you are awesome, Lord. We love you.
morning as we were worshiping there God wants you to know that if you need a breakthrough your breakthrough is in your praise if you know how to praise him if you know how to keep your eyes on Jesus and off of your problems your breakthrough will come so if that is for somebody this morning you have got to understand whatever is going on in your life breakthrough will come in your praise to God Jesus, because when we fix our eyes on our problem, when we fix our eyes on our circumstance, then we magnify that circumstance. But when we put our eyes on Jesus, we magnify Jesus. We make him big. So some of you have to move your eyesight a little bit this morning because your breakthrough will come when you fix your eyes on Jesus and praise him for who he is not just for what he will do for you, but for who he is, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of this universe, the King of your life, the Savior of the world. It is Jesus, 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 only by the precious blood of Jesus. That is why we worship. He is the reason why we praise. He is bigger than your mountain. He is bigger than your situation this morning. 
and he wants you to know that if you just learn to praise him, if you just get on your knees and lift him high, that he will take care of you. Jesus, we magnify you this morning. We make you big. We make you big in our life. There is nothing too great that you cannot handle, God. And we bless you. We glorify you. You are our King, our Lord, and our Master. You are awesome, Jesus. His presence is breathtaking. If you do not know him this morning, I encourage you, get to know Jesus. In just a little bit, we're going to partake of communion together. And I want us to check our hearts because we do this as a family once a month. And I don't want us to get used to doing it just out of obligation or religious duty. When we take communion, we are remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we could live life abundantly here on earth and forever with, in eternity with him. So I want us to just close our eyes all across this room and think about Jesus, who he is to you, what he's done in your life, how he's taken you out of darkness into light, out of the miry clay onto a firm foundation. We are not who we used to be. Think about who you were before Jesus came into your life. He's transformed so many of us. We don't talk the same. We don't walk the same. We don't feel the same. He fills us until we overflow with joy and love and peace. And it has nothing to do with our current circumstance. It's because of who he is. So with that in mind, pondering on who we used to be when we were sinners, lost on our way to hell, without Jesus, without a hope in this world, Jesus came. Jesus showed up and he changed your story. So we're going to remember that today as a body of Christ and we're going to do a little bit different. After I read this passage of scripture, I want you to be released. The band will start playing the instruments as you come and partake. Then when you go back to your seat, I want us to wait a little bit for everybody to go back to their chairs because we're going to partake of it today as a body of Christ, as a family, all at the same time. And then we're going to worship the Lord together one more time before we continue on with the service. In Mark chapter 14, verse 22, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we're going to do that together today. We're going to come partake of the elements. We're going to go back to our seats. I'll lead us all in the communion elements, and then we're going to sing a hymn together to the Lord. So please, as the instruments begin to play, make your way to the front. On the right and to the left of me are leaders to direct the flow.
thank you this morning, God, for the cross. We thank you that you sent your only begotten son to take our place, to take our punishment. You put it all upon him. And Lord, we take this wafer that represents the body of Jesus that was beaten and bruised and whipped for us in remembrance of him. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, now we take this grape juice, symbolizing the blood that you shed. God, we know that you took our sins, our sicknesses, and our sorrows on that cross so that we could be forgiven, healed, and restored. And we thank you for your blood this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You guys can stand up to your feet. Let's give the Lord a hand clap as we continue to worship him one more time. We're going to sing a hymn to our God. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Bless Jesus this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood. We thank you for the blood, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you that you come and you fill us until we overflow. You've given us life abundantly, God, for a purpose and meaning, Jesus. You've set us free, God, from the chains of addiction and lack of purpose, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Be magnified and be glorified in our life. We give you praise and glory and honor and power. one more time, God. Love like a father. Yes, Lord. Oh, God. Oh, God. You love us. You love like a lion, fierce like no other. You're violently chasing me, God. You won't let me go. You're embracing me. Clothe me who you are. All of you, God, in me today. Clothe us with your love. Clothe us with your righteousness. Clothe us with your peace. Clothe us, God, with all of who you are, God. Hallelujah. Our God is in love with us. He is not far from us. Would you hold the hand of the person next to you today as a family? We are a family of God, and we want to pray together as a family. 
Oh, would you just hold somebody's hand right now? God, we just lift up to you every person here today. These are your precious sons and daughters, oh God. Those that you love. Oh, Lord, they have come here for you today. They've come here with their family. They've come here to celebrate who you are. Lord, bless them today. Bless your people, God. Shine upon them, oh God. Be with them through their hardships, their trials and tests, oh God. Strengthen them and encourage them. Heal those among us who are sick, God. Prosper, God, those among us who need your blessing, oh God. Encourage the downcast. Strengthen the weak, oh God. Save the lost, Jesus. We call upon you, and we thank you that you're here now. Bless the rest of our service and all that we do in your name, and let our lives never, never, never be the same again. Let the people of this world know we are a peculiar, strange people because we're not like this world. We're like our Heavenly Father. We're like our poppy in heaven, and you are good, and we're like you today. Would you bless us in Jesus' name? Can everybody say amen? And just bless the Lord. Come on, say amen. Amen. Would you slap your neighbor high five and say God is good. We're going to play a welcome video. Now slap three other friends high five as this video plays. Welcome to Metro Praise. We're praising his name this morning. Fellowship with one another. We welcome you. God is good. I'm in love with you today.
right, welcome to Metro Praise. If you can find your way back to your seat, we're going to get this party started. God is in the building. How many love Jesus? Can I hear a what, what? Amen. Aren't you excited to be at church on a Sunday morning? I was wondering, you know, as I woke up this morning, I saw that good weather. I was like, man, is somebody going to quit going to church today to go to the lake? Is somebody going to be out keeping the Memorial Day barbecue going? And so when I came here in the back and I saw this place filled up, there was just a joy in my heart. Because we're here celebrating the S-O-N sun. We're having fun in the sun, the son of God today. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Will you look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you came to have fun in the sun. Thank you for being here. This is where you want to be all summer long in Chicago. This is where you want to be every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. This is our main service. Information is in the back for all the visitors. If you like what you see today, it only gets better, so keep coming back. God is good to us. Also, we have Wednesday midweek service at 7 p.m. We call them encounter nights. It's where we have prayer meetings and Bible studies here for the adults and Royal Rangers and Impact for children in the back. It's from K through 5th. It's like Boy Scouts Girl Scouts for Jesus, and just to give you an idea of what's going on in Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts right now, they are taking so many lawsuits because lesbians and homosexuals are trying to come into that agency. A lesbian woman wanted to be in the Boy Scouts. You know, this is the world we live in today, and so we need to lift up our society that our children are protected and not, you know, brought into the world's mindset. So why we started Royal Rangers and and Impact was so that you would have a place for your children. K through fifth during the week, you know, instead of karate, dancing, and that's okay if you want to do all of that, but this is a place where your children can get taught the things of God and grow up to be great men and women of God without sexual identity, confusion, without violence and harm. Can I hear an amen for our children? Amen. That just blessed me to hear that the the Boy Scouts are still fighting for that integrity while other agencies are changing. And then we got LOVA. Amen. Oh, come on. Why are you teasing me? Just drop it like it's hot. Come on. Come on. Elevate. Elevate. One more time. Elevate. Oh, yeah. Come on. Amen. Let's get up for Elevate. Youth group every Friday at 7.30. Come, don't come late. Come early because we're getting down and dirty. And the Holy Ghost, the good things, the good dirt, like dirty and, and, you know, and saving souls. Adam, how come you don't have a microphone? What's going on with that today? You're not singing today, so you can't tell us what's going on in the youth group. Just, is it going good? Can you nod your head? Amen. Let's give it up for Pastor Adam and Elevate one more time. Come on. Thank you. He got out of that one today. How many are excited for Boricua Fest, Puerto Rican Festival? Wepa. This is what's going on this month. We have prepared you for almost 60 days, two months in advance, to get you ready for this. Now is the time to prepare to get out on the streets. June 14th is a Thursday. We're meeting here at 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock on a Thursday, bam, right here. We're going to share with you what we'll do. We'll train you up. If this is your first time, don't be nervous. Can you look at your neighbor and say, don't be scared? Okay, don't be scared. Come here, 5 o'clock. We will prepare you and get you ready. Then we're going to go out till 9. So we're going to go out to Bodequa Fest tonight. Then Friday, we're going to meet here at 9 in the morning, and we're going to have a training session, share with you again how to do what we do out there. And then we're going to stay out there to 7 o'clock. So that means we'll have lunch and dinner out there because we are giving arroz con candules and hot dogs to all of the people. Come on, somebody say amen to that. That's a good church right there, giving away arroz con candules. That's a good church. Anyways, um, so we're going to be doing that. And then the same thing Saturday, 9 a.m., 
to 7 p.m. Now, Saturday, we have Pastor Mike Pilecki's church from North Corner Christian Community on Narragansett and Irving. I drive by them every time I'm coming here and bless them. They are a new church plant, less than a year old. God has blessed him. He has connected with us, and he wants to be a part of it, so he'll be our speaker that morning preparing us. And as we go out, we'll be going out with another church. And you might say, well, you know, another church, what's the big deal? You have to understand, for Metro Praise history, seven years, no one else has ever done this. This is the first time in seven years another church says, we'll join you crazy guys out there and win some souls for Jesus. So it's about time. And so because of this joint partnership, we started something called Chicago for Jesus. And you go to chicagoforjesus.org and you'll see the partnership. And we're inviting other churches to join with us because last time I checked, it wasn't Metro Praise that put it in the Bible, go into all the world and preach the gospel, amen? And last time I checked, it wasn't Metro Praise that set up a Puerto Rican festival. So I just think if good godly pastors can get together, we can get out there and do it citywide to the point where Puerto Rican festival becomes Jesus festival. Can I hear an amen? Praise the Lord. Get excited about that. And then during the outreach that Sunday, so we're going Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that Sunday is Father's Day, June 17th. And so for that Sunday, we want to excite everybody. Those of you going out to Puerto Rican Festival, we want you to bring your friends that Sunday. And then everybody else, let's all bring a friend to church that Sunday. So let's just pack it out, the Father's Day Sunday of Boricua Fest. That's the Sunday of that weekend. Every guest will get a first, uh, every first-time visitor and guest will get a free gift and we just want to connect to the community and bring somebody how many know a friend let's put it like this how many y'all have friends Okay, how many of y'all know a friend that needs to come to church and get some Jesus? Amen. We want you to bring them June 17th, and I believe God will do a great work in their life. And every last Wednesday of the month is Family Fun Night, and this Family Fun Night is going to be outdoor games, prizes, and activities. We'll be shutting down the parking lot and making that like a little carnival out there. So as the summer months are coming ahead, we're going to be out in that parking lot, Family Fun Nights. So you've got three awesome activities to look forward to, Boricua Fest, the Bring a Friend Day, and then the family fun night. Can I just hear an amen for all that good stuff? Amen. Thank you so very much. Metro Praise is here to love God and love people. Can everybody say love God? Can you say love people? That is our heart. That is our vision. Seven years hasn't changed. Sometimes people say to us, man, you know, you tell me this every week, and I, you know, I got it by now, but you know what? Maybe your friend doesn't have it. Maybe the visitor here today, this is your first time saying it or hearing it because I've had to say it 52 weeks out of every year for seven years. I've said it over 300 times. And you might say, I've heard it so many times, but you know what? There's always one more that needs to hear it again and get it. Can we all say love God and love people? So that's our vision at Metro Praise. We invite you to join with us to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's not going to change. And the way we want to do this is to connect you to the cross. Can everybody say connect? Thank you. Then we want to mentor you with the cross. Can you say mentor? And then everybody say send. Thank you. We want to connect you to the cross, mentor you with the cross, and send you out with the cross to change the world. The best way we believe you can connect to the cross in this church is through life groups. Does anybody get life at life groups? Come on, you all can make some better noise than that. I am so pumped about life groups right now in this season because I'm hearing all of the creative outreaches that they're doing in the community to reach their neighborhood. Would you join a life group? 
A life group is a home Bible study of food, fun, and fellowship. They meet all throughout the week for youth and adults. And the whole idea is for you to get alone with God and some friends, a group of 12 to 15, and just hang out and begin to fall in love with Jesus more, to understand the Bible more. And there at that time, people will get to know you better. And hopefully you'll find some friends and you'll be able to know that at Metro Praise, you're not alone. Can I hear somebody say, I'm not alone? Have you ever gone through trouble and you felt you were alone? I mean, I know I have, and you just feel alone. You feel like nobody loves me, nobody cares, you know. And But we're telling you, there's a life group probably meeting that night. So you could take your little pity patty party and send it to hell back to the devil and come to a life group and get life injected into you and then get excited about God because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't. And that's what we do is house parties for Jesus. Y'all looking like y'all don't like parties. You know you like to party. Come on. How many had a good Memorial Day weekend? Did y'all have some good parties? Some good food? Amen. And then the last uh, or the second thing is mentor. We want to mentor you in those life groups. As you begin to go, a life group leader will ask you, do you want to grow spiritually? And this is a seven-step book we wrote about spiritual growth. You'll go with this through your life group leader, one-on-one, sharing your life together so that you can experience growth. That's what makes Metro Praise unique is that every person here today can have a mentor in their life. And, you know, think about it like this. You are in business. You do different things as a career. How many of you would like to have one of the most successful people in your career field spend seven weeks with you mentoring in what you do. Let's say you're in sales. What if you could get one of the best salesmen to sit down with you for seven weeks in a row and teach you sales? What if you're in, you know, uh, accounting? What if you could get the best accountant to come and show you how to save time and be more effective seven weeks? What we're doing in Christianity is passing that baton from one person to the other person. The leaders that lead these life groups and get into your life are effective. They see answers to prayer. They see mountains move. They see problems dissipate in the name of Jesus. They're not perfect walking on yellow brick roads, but they've learned a thing or two, and they want to impart that into your life so that you can be successful. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Thank you. And then when you graduate from that, you can go into a book called Disciples That Make Disciples that will infuse you with the knowledge and the power to study yourself approved, to be a disciple that makes disciples. When Jesus came to this world, he made how many disciples? So if Jesus made disciples, shouldn't we be making disciples? Can I hear an amen? Amen. And our goal then is to send you out as disciples after you've connected to the cross, you've built relationships, you've been trained in the things of God for you then to carry that cross into the world you live in and to change that world. And I believe we can see 100,000 disciples raised up in the city of Chicago of 8 million. How many believe we can see 100,000 here? I believe we can with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do it, somebody say, let's do it. Come on, somebody, and I got some exciting things to share with you about how we do it. The first of the month, we always share with you our finances because we don't want you to ever think there's things going shady on, uh, going going on shady in the church or we're not responsible with the monies because the church of our age has been accused so much of false, uh, you know, lying and doing things they shouldn't do with money. So we said in our church, we're going to show you the first of every month what we do. Here it is, tithes and offerings. We brought in $15,144.02. Mission, $714.25. Building fund, which goes to eliminate debt and add to the things that we need, need in the building, $537 for a total income of $16,395.27. Can we give it up for Jesus right now? Come on. Thank you, church, for letting God use you. 
Now let me just share with you something about this. This was a tough, uh, May was a tough month. Coming down to the last week, we were multiple thousands of dollars behind our budget. But God, in that last week's offering, just started supplying need. And I, I want to thank everybody who gives regularly. But I'm just saying we were so behind that if that last week's offering wasn't going to show up, we were going to be in debt like three, four thousand dollars $4,000. But last week's offering, on top of the gift that somebody gave us from an inheritance, on top of that with the people here, what you did was one of our largest offerings ever on a Sunday morning. Can everybody say amen? And you want to talk about God taking me to the last minute. I'm like, God, it's all falling apart. We have no money. It's all gone. And I could just hear Jesus going, shh, I got this, Dito. I got this. Just go fishing. Like I was like trying to fish. And I'm like, we're going to lose the church. I don't have any money. What are we going to do? And we come back and God pays the bills. And this is what we spend it on right here. Our general fund is our rent and expenses. Missions is to the missions account. Building the fund, $15,551.93. We came out of this month positive with $843.34. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Woo. I was a tough one. You know, it's like all the money came in. It's like, goes right out. And the Lord's like, let's start again. It's June. Let's go again. And I'm just like, come on, God. Can we have some savings? Can we have a little extra, a little lanyard? And God is just testing my faith. I know so many of you are in that place right now in this economy. So we are just asking you as a church to help us through this tough time where uh, it's tough for everybody. But if you could sacrifice with us, we can get through this. And so that building fund and that mission fund is very important on top of our tithes and offerings because if we don't have it, we can't support uh, the 200 and 50 plus churches we have in, around the world and we can't pay off the debt one of the cool things that happened with some of that extra money one of our credit cards was coming up due and it was a no interest credit card for a year <clears throat> excuse me and you know how that works after the year they stack it all on so they sent to me the letter they said if you don't pay it now you're going to get charged the $500 of interest throughout the whole year and then now we're going to start putting <clears throat> excuse me a 40% interest on that card, you know, because that's how they do it. They give you interest free, but they stack it up, and then once that year is over, they give you just a crazy rate, just an absurd rate. But it was so good because we had that extra finances. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Wrote that check, cleared off the Best Buy credit card for that laptop in the back. Can I hear an amen? And I just want to thank you for that. And for this month, this is what we're asking. If you look at the offering envelope that you have, Berto, would you grab me one, please? We believe that the Bible teaches us to give tithes. That is a biblical command just like thou shalt not murder. Thank you, sir. And so what a tithe is is 10% of your total income. We believe we give that to God in the church for three things. It breaks greed off of our heart, the love of money. Number two, it stores up treasures for us in heaven where God says we'll never rust, where moth will never decay it. And then thirdly, we impact and change the world. So the tithe is for those three reasons, and we believe it's a command, and we would uh, ask you to be obedient to that and let God bless you as you do that. And we have seen tithers in this church be blessed, even through tough times. And let me just give you a little stat right here. Most probably would be surprised to hear. Do you know that America, based on population and percentage, gave more to the church during the Great Depression? than they do now. You see, we knew how to trust God in times when times got hard. 
But over these last 50 years since the World War II, the great, genera- the great you know, generation of World War II, we have stopped trusting in God and we're wondering why all of the man's ideas keep failing us. The church during the time, I'm going to say it again like this, the church during the time of the Great Depression gave more percentage-wise than they do now because they knew at that time if God does not build a nation, those that build this nation labor in vain. And they realized if God is not first and everything built on God, everything we build will crumble. And I want to encourage you with the tithe. But then the Bible goes on to say an offering, and an offering is something that's never compulsory. We're not going to start auctioning up, uh, you know, our youth pastor to come clean your house tonight, which sometimes churches do. We're not going to have spaghetti dinners in the back. We're simply asking you for the offering. And this is what the offering is, above your tithe, that you give and offer to God freely. And we're asking for 50 people to commit to $50 for our building fund, which would give us an extra $2,500 because we roughly have another credit card of about $8,500 right now, and we need to clear that bad boy off. Those monies will help us do that. And then our missions with the books and the things we supply for our churches and pastors, we need to hit around $1,250. So as for me and my house, what we've done is we tithe, and then we give offering to the building fund, and to the missions. If you would ask God to guide you in that this month, I believe you will see these chairs filled with your friends and family. Outreaches like Puerto Rican Fest will always be free and for the community and the thousands we reach out there. Your children will have free uh, Royal Rangers and Impact. Our youth groups will continue to grow. Wicker Park Campus will continue to grow. And by the way, Wicker Park Campus right now has a $2,000 budget. They are raising $1,500. So within six months of a church plant, they are five hundred dollars away from being totally indigenous can i hear an amen for that and so they are doing it guys so i just ask you to pray with us uh something cool going on in the missions right now is that we are raising money for a computer for nepal our great pastor and and leader there does not have a computer Uh, we said we would give it to him on our next trip but he really needs it now so we're raising five hundred dollars for that computer that he can buy a used laptop and establish internet in his house so the mission monies that you give here are going to start going towards that would you believe god with us that we can get him that laptop computer he'll be able to do three things with that laptop number one he'll be able to stay in touch with is pastors that use internet cafes. So there are internet cafes where they can go to, and we can't get every pastor a computer, but they can go there and check in with him, and he can be from the comfort of his office doing all the detail work of his 15 churches. The second thing he can do is use all of the resources that we take for granted online for free. He can watch the videos, the YouTube videos, all the Bible studies. American internet for the Christian uh, church has so much to offer the nations of the world. I mean, the Bibles, the, the teaching ministries and it will bless and encourage him and then thirdly all of our materials we don't send them books we send them pdfs for them to print out he will be able to do that as well can i hear an amen for that a computer can actually win the lost of nepal and he's sending churches uh, church planners even into tibet and when you think of nepal and tibet you're thinking of one of the most unreached people groups on our planet right now so keep that in mind for missions would you stand with me please as we get ready to give today Thank you, Metro Praise, for your faithfulness. Thank you for being givers and generous givers. We are here today because of you. We've never been supported by a denomination or an outside source, whether it was four of us meeting in uh, the old Irvin Park Methodist building or today a few hundred of us, it's always been for the people and by the people. And I want to pray this special prayer that God will bless you. Father, we thank you.
for a church today that gives what is precious to them, to you, and they trust us as leaders, Lord. First, I pray for the leaders today, God, as we do financial meetings and we're adding on David Montez into that financial committee, that, Lord, you would just give us wisdom. None of us, God, want to be guilty of waste, of negligence, of dishonesty. God, we want to be so above the board that we could even have the reputation in this city where people say, hey, I don't know about those other churches, but that church, they don't waste money. They do good things. God, let that be our heart and give us wisdom to do that. And then, Lord, I pray for your people that work, and and, and many of them are underemployed or unemployed. Lord, I pray you give them opportunities, God, to work and to realign into new positions, those that are looking for new careers and new talents. And for those that are in jobs where the industry is suffering, we pray for creative ideas and ingenuity and invention, oh God, to rejuvenate those positions and jobs, oh Lord. Bring back, God, the industry and the inventive nature to the Midwest, oh God. It wasn't always just the, the West Coast, God. The Midwest invented so many things in the, in, in the time uh, of the Industrial Revolution, God. Chicago was known for making some of the best equipment that was used around the world in the blue-collar middle class was the backbone of Chicago. Would you bring the industry back to, to this city, oh Father God? And, Lord, for those who are working and being faithful business owners and stewards of the jobs and the management you put them in, Lord, I pray you bless them with wisdom to increase their company, to increase their their positions, God, so that others could come and work, oh, God. And then we ask, God, you to bless our nation, our president, God, our leaders, our governors, our senate, our congress, that this nation, God, would no longer have the debt that it has, that, Lord, we would look to you, There is a chaplain that opens up Congress every single time that there would actually be a serious time of prayer like the founding of this nation when they hit their knees and asked you for wisdom that these leaders, God, the leaders of the free world here in America would seek you for wisdom. And then, Lord, we pray for the nations that you would bless them. Oh, God, our suffering is incomparable to what they go through. Oh, God, the persecution they face the poverty, the lack of medical care. Some of them don't even have good drinking water. Oh, God, would you be with them today? Nigeria has now become the most dangerous place in the world to live. God, would you be with our pastors there? And, Lord, use us to fulfill the great commission on this earth. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Amen. Let's say what Paul said on the count of three. One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Will you come rejoicing as you give? Thank you so much. God bless you. Can we give it up for the band this morning, rocking out for Jesus? Thank you, guys. You are awesome. We're going to be starting a new series called Reach the Lost at Any Cost. Can everybody say this on the count of three? One, two, three. Reach the Lost. Come on, one more time. One, two, three. Reach the Lost. Amen. We are going to be talking about evangelism this month. 
During the time of the kings in the Bible, there was actually a time of war when the kings would go out and fight war. They would say, this is a good time to fight. Let's all go out and fight and try to conquer each other. There is a good time in Chicago to go win souls. It's hard in the middle of January and February to do street ministry in Chicago. I don't know if you've ever been out with us in February and January, but we got the earmuffs on, the hats, the double socks, the gloves, and we're trying to hand out hot chocolate, and, you know, we're shaking. But this is the most effective time in Metro Praise's history as a church is these summer months. At the same time when people are taking vacations, going out and doing different things, if we can focus on going out of the church in this good weather, because even though I know it gets a little hot and sticky sometimes, trust me, y'all, it's nothing like New Orleans. It's nothing like Florida or Texas. Chicago has some pretty nice summers. There's cool breezes off the lake even on summer days. Evening temperatures drop down. It is a great time to get out on the streets and get to share the love of God with people. If you believe it can I hear an amen. So for this month, as we prepare for a summer of outreaches, we want to have a preparation, a, a standard that we look to, a foundation of how to reach the lost, how to evangelize. So the series is called Reach the Lost at Any Cost. This week we'll be talking about friendship evangelism, how to win your friends to the Lord. So maybe not necessarily going out witnessing, but actually on your job, in your family, how to use your friendships to win people to the Lord. Next week we'll talk about outreach evangelism, why it's good to go out of the church and to get out into the community for the purpose of winning souls. Then June 17th is bring a friend to church evangelism. We're going to actually show you how to win souls at church. And so we're going to prepare you for when you bring your friend that you'll know what we're going to do that day. And what we're going to do that day, and I'll give you a little hint, is we're going to tell testimonies and give them a gospel presentation. So that's a way to win souls. You win souls with your friends. You win souls with outreaches. And you can win souls by bringing them to church. Are you happy about a good church? Come on. Amen. And then lastly, uh, June 24th, we're going to talk about about prayer evangelism. There is a reason today Metro Praise has, uh, we're supporting five different nations and 250 churches around the world because we have prayed for the nation. Psalms 2 has always been our prayer. Lord, we ask of you of the na- we ask of you for the nations as our inheritance. We've been praying that since day one, and God keeps answering those prayers. There's a reason why Boricua Fest is successful for us. Ohio Park outreach, you know, Taste of Chicago outreach. It's because we pray for those outreaches. Can I hear an amen for prayer? Amen. Would you open up with me in your Bibles now to Mark chapter 16 for the theme scripture of this series, Reach the Lost at Any Cross. We're going to talk about friendship evangelism today. And let us look to our key scripture, Mark chapter 16. He said to them, go into just your neighborhood and tell people about Jesus. Did he say, go to just the nice people and tell them about Jesus? He said, go into what? All the world, let's say it one more time, go into all the world, amen, and preach the good news to all creation. Everybody say all creation. Amen. Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. So many people come to Metro Praise and say, wow, so many nationalities here. Some churches I go to are all white, all Latino, all African American, all Asian. You have so many nationalities here. Why? Because that's our prayer. That's our desire. We're fulfilling the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 
Come on, somebody say keep it simple. Aren't you happy Jesus didn't complicate the Bible for us? Have you ever looked at a physics equation? Have you ever tried to figure out M equals MC squared? Have you ever tried to figure these things out? Complicated. I love the Bible. So simple. If you're saved and baptized, you're going to heaven. You're not believing, you're going to hell. So it's like make a choice. Do you want to believe, go to heaven, or do you want to disbelieve and go to hell? That's our gospel. That's what we're telling people. And sometimes they get offended and they say, oh, don't give me an ultimatum. You know, if God would send me to hell, if I wouldn't choose him, I don't want to serve a God like that. Well, it's not your choice, Bubba. He made the rules, and this is what he said. This is what he said. If you believe, you're saved. If you don't, you're going to hell. Now, I'm not a good preacher if I don't tell you the other option. And we're going to get into that today on why hell is a part of our gospel message. You just can't tell people, well, you know, if you don't want Jesus, that's okay. You'll still have a good life. No, you need to say what Jesus said. If you don't believe, you are going to be condemned and go to hell. That is very simple. That's not angry. I can say it with a smile on my face. Just look at your neighbor and smile and say, neighbor, if you don't believe in God, you're going to go to hell. See, now you did it with a smile. You didn't yell. You didn't cuss at them. You didn't hold up a sign and go, go to hell, go to hell. And you didn't make scary noises like, go to hell. All of you are going to burn. Fire. He said, you believe you're saved. You don't believe you're condemned. Next. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Now, this is what we call the shikaboomba power of God. We are not ashamed of Pentecost. We're not here just going to emphasize water baptism. We want to emphasize spirit baptism. There's a whole denomination that emphasizes water baptism. They're called Baptists. But we're a denomination that, that emphasizes spirit baptism. That's why we also, that's why we also believe in water baptism. That's why we're Bapticostals, baby, because we'll baptize you in water and baptize you in the Holy Ghost in fire. And don't get scared. Don't get scared on me now. We believe in a Pentecost. When Jesus walked the earth, did signs follow his ministry? Were there signs and wonders? Were there miracles in Jesus' life? When the disciples walked the earth, were there signs and wonders and miracles? Look at verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. So if you are a part of that believing crew, these things should be accompanying you. When we go out to preach about Equa Fest, there should be some signs and wonders out there. And if you want to see demons cast out, evil spirits, exorcisms, just hang around Berto because somehow he finds them all. It's always weird. Like I'll be walking around, and all of a sudden I'll see Berto like, like in a bus stop with his hands on somebody. Satanas! You know, wrestling with the devil, casting them. And I just love it when people walk by and think we're weird because that's what Jesus did. Jesus cast out devils. Oh, y'all looking at me crazy. Let me, let me back up here. Do you believe the Bible? Okay. When Jesus walked the earth, were there evil spirits demonizing people? Okay. Now in 21st century, do you think there are still demons demonizing people? Just look at the television. They call it music. They call it a reality show. There are people demonized today. And Jesus will set them free. Here it is, not my words. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. How many baptized in the Holy Spirit? Hi. Come on, I got the Holy Ghost and fire. Here we go. They will pick up snakes with their hands when they drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them. Berto, go get the vipers, baby. How many ready to pick up some snakes? Get, get an Arkansas Pentecostal meeting up in here. Woo, glory. 
Let me just pause here and explain to you the snakes and the, and, and, and the poison. What this is simply saying is they will be indestructible. You will not be able to kill them by the poison you try to give them. And if things of nature try to hurt them, they will keep preaching. In our day and language, it would say bullets won't kill them. Muslims won't behead them. That's what it's saying. It doesn't mean we can't die for the gospel at some point. But until the Lord says it's your time to go home, God will protect you wherever you go. Let me give you an example of this. I have a good friend that was uh, a preacher in Fort Wayne in my hometown, and he was out preaching the gospel, and he got involved in a situation where some gang members were doing stuff, and this gang member mistook him for somebody else, thought he was on the other gang, and pulled a gun on him and pulled the trigger point blank right at his face. It's a true story. And the, just like you would see in the movies, it clicked, but no bullet came out. Then, the, uh, then he said that uh, the man pulled the trigger. At that moment, he saw a light glow. My friend began to preach to him and said that was an angel of the Lord. He then preached to that gangbanger, and that gangbanger got saved right then and there. I mean, wouldn't you get saved if you pulled a trigger on a gun and it didn't go off? And I know some of these stories seem spectacular, like, no, that, that, dude, that couldn't happen. That's why I don't tell you these things every week to make you think it's common and normal. No, it is uncommon. It isn't natural. It's supernatural. But it has been known to happen. I can also tell you of another story where a missionary was caught, and they brought him. It was in a jungle. A missionary was caught, and they had a whip that they would whip him with similar to the times of when Jesus would get whipped. It was a multiple strands like a cat of nine tails. And as he was about ready to get whipped, the Lord said to him, I'm going to protect you from the pain of what you're going to experience. Now, that doesn't happen every time. But according to this, it can happen. A sign will happen. And as these men whipped him, he said it felt like yarn just going against his back. Just yarn. And when they got done whipping him, blood was going everywhere. But God had taken him from the pain. You may say, man, that's crazy. I don't know if I want to get whipped and not feel it's still bad. But God gave him that promise that I will take that pain that they will give to you. I have heard these stories from both missionaries, from people, and this is what it's talking about. Don't get afraid because God is with you. So Boricua Fest, you're out there until Jesus says to go home. And what difference does it if you go home from a stray bullet, a slap to the face, or whatever, or any cancer? We're all going to go home to meet Jesus sometime. Are you listening to me? You take me off the earth. You sent me to heaven. I'm not unhappy. I'm kind of happy. I'm there now. You haven't hurt me. Are you listening? Come on, somebody, you think I'm crazy. That's okay. Just the Bible. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will drink deadly poison, and it will not hurt them. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Here are the four signs that should follow gospel preachers. Number one, they cast out devils. Number two, they speak in tongues. Number three, they're invincible. And number four, sick people are healed. At Boricua Fest, we see all of these things except the snakes and the vipers. We haven't seen anything deadly happen yet, though we did see a whole bunch of gangbangers running across the street and, and policemen chasing them, and we were safe. Come on, somebody say amen. You all live in Chicago. This don't scare you. You know you're okay with this. And if you're like, no, I'm not. I'm really not, Pastor. God will give you strength. That only happened one time. That only happened one time. But God protected us, and he'll protect you. Amen. Would you turn with me in your Bibles now to John chapter 4, verse 1? I tell you what, don't turn to John chapter 4, verse 1 quite yet. Let me share with you a couple things about friendship evangelism, and then we'll go to John chapter 4, verse 1. Here's three things we need to know about friendship evangelism. Here's the definition. Number one, 
Friendship evangelism is sharing the gospel with people in your everyday life. The difference between outreach evangelism, church evangelism, and friendship evangelism is friendship is with the people you already know. Outreach is going out to meet new people, and church evangelism is getting them to come to a service where somebody else preaches to them. Friendship is where you do it in your friendship, so it's not to a stranger, and it's in your life, and you're the one presenting the gospel. Friendship evangelism statistically is the most effective way to bring somebody to Christ. How many of you had a friend or family member that shared the gospel with you? Can you raise a hand? Look at that, all the hands. A friend or family member shared the gospel with you, and my, friend, my hand is up because my mother led me to the Lord uh, at the kitchen table. And so what friendship evangelism is saying, I don't need to go meet a stranger, and I don't need an outreach. I can reach the people in my life without a pastor's help, without anybody else's help. Me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can lead that person to the Lord. That's what it is. Number two, what friendship evangelism is not. It's not compromising, manipulating, or being fake around people. And I think this is where friendship evangelism has gotten a bad name in our culture is because sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm just going to live my Christian life in front of them and be their friend, and when they notice how different that I am, then I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And so friendship evangelism kind of becomes weenie evangelism. Like weenie of it. Like I'm afraid to tell anybody about Jesus, but I'm going to say God bless you when they sneeze. God bless you. And eventually they're going to figure it out that I'm a Christian. And then when I give them Christmas cards, I'm going to say God bless you. And they're going to know that I'm different than everybody else. Okay? And then other people take it to another level. They're like the, they're like the Amway for Jesus friend. Like they, they say to their friend, like, come on over to my house. We're going to have dinner. And they wink, wink to their wife. And when the friends come over and have a, they have like a 15-minute dinner, then all of a sudden brrr, they pull out this slideshow and go, we're going to show you how to be a part of the pyramid scheme here and make money. And you can now sell vitamins too. And like the friends are like, yes, yeah, some friends you are. You just tricked me to come over here so you could tell me how to sell vitamins. How many of you have ever been in one of those conversations? Like you just thought you were hanging out with your friend and then all of a sudden, boom, there comes the vitamin on the counter. Little, little board shows up in the kitchen now and the guy, you know, for the next 15 minutes, you're just being told how you can become a millionaire if you just sell these vitamins. And it really works because they know somebody that did it. And then the other people, you know, they bring you to the house and they're like, oh, we're going to have a good dinner. And then all of a sudden, like, no, let's talk about God. Let me tell you why you're a sinner and you're not going to heaven. And so the friend had no idea that by coming to the house that night, they were going to have the gospel preached to them. I don't feel we have to compromise and I don't feel we have to be manipulative or be fake in any way. We can be ourselves our, 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 as Christians with our families and we can be with our friends and have a Christian witness that is not ninny ninny and we can have the power of God. Can I hear an amen? Thank you. So what is friendship evangelism? It's being truthful, honest, bold, and patient and sharing your faith. It's talking to your friends about God. It's not just living a life and saying, God bless you, though you should say those things or do those things. Be a polite person. But what it's saying is you're going you're gonna to tell them honestly about heaven and hell. You're going to let them know that's what you want to talk to them about. Hey, man, can you and the family come over? I'd like to share with you some things that you know God's been doing in us or I'd like to do a Bible study with you. You don't want to manipulate what, what's going on. You know, that's why we do home groups and family nights on the home group so they can tell people, come on over. You know, and sometimes I, I, I say to you guys, you know, tell them it's a house party then we'll show them the Bible when we get there. But this is where now I back up some of those jokes that I've said. I said, we really don't really want to do that. But if you do, we won't stop you. 
Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, man. Okay, what is the gospel? If we're going to preach it, we need to know it, right? Here is the gospel in a nutshell, four ways to know it. There's also other ways. It's called the Romans Road where you can preach the gospel just from the book of Romans. Here's the way that I like to do it. It goes like this, God, man, Jesus, salvation. Those are the four categories. I wish I would have put them like that and bolded them here. But uh, those are the four categories, number one, God, number two, man, number three, Jesus, and number four, salvation. So here's the gospel in four easy steps. Number one, God. God created mankind perfect for a relationship with him because he loves us, Acts. 17, 26 through 28. Everybody say, God is love. Amen. Somebody say, God is my creator. Amen. So step one, God loves you. He created you for a relationship. Number two, mankind has sinned and separated themselves from God. Romans 3, 9 through 23. Everybody say, man blew it. Thank you. So man has sinned. Man has messed up. If you don't believe it, just look at your life and see how many times you've messed up today. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We don't always keep our word. We take things that don't belong to us. We lust after the opposite sex. Uh, We make uh, anger sometimes our emotion. Instead of patience, we sin, we blow it. So God loves us, but we blow it. And then number three, Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead to be the Savior of all mankind. Somebody say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. John 3, verses 3 through 16. And then number 4, salvation. A person is saved when they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 10 through 13. Everybody say, Jesus is my Savior. Thank you. And you see number four ends just like Mark 16. This is the gospel. All those who believe will be saved. Here it is. All those who believe, confess with their mouth, they're saved. So when you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching these four simple points. God created you. You're here with a purpose. God loves you. This is his plan for you, to be with you. That's why you have a heart. And I love what the one singer said. You have a heart, a a hole in your heart that only God can fill because God created you to be in a relationship with him. And you can stay on that first step all day long to explain things to them. Like, have you had a lot of money? They'll say, yeah. Has all that money changed really who you are on the inside? No. Have you been in a lot of relationships? Yeah. Has it really changed who you are? No. Why? Because you're created by God. You have a a soul and a spirit. Only God can touch the deepest parts of you. And then the second part is your sin is what separates you from God. The reason why God is not here giving you his Twitter and letting you call him on face, uh, talk to him on Facebook is because our sin has separated us from him. And then if they don't understand they've sinned, give them the good person test. Say, hey, I'm just going to give you five questions on the good person test. Let's see if you can pass. Number one, have you ever told a lie? And then right there and then we'll, just, we'll determine whether or not they are a little liar or a big liar. Because if they tell you, no, they've never told a lie, now you're talking to a big liar. You just got to tell them, you are a big, fat liar. Look at you, tell me you've never lied. You're lying to me right now. Of course you've lied. And then the second one is, have you ever stole anything? Even small, bigger, little, borrowed a dress, never gave it back. Took something from school and never, never told the teacher you were borrowing. You know, did you ever steal? Number three, did you ever disobey your parents? You ever disobey your parents, number three. Number four, have you always put God first in everything you're supposed to do? Have you always put him first? He says, I'm supposed to be first and foremost. And then lastly, have you ever coveted or wanted something that somebody else had? Those are just five out of the Ten Commandments. You can put adultery there as number six as well. And so after the good person test, how many know they're going to flunk it and realize they're not a good person? And then what do you do? You say with them, see, I was trying to tell you. 
God created you to have a relationship with you, but you've sinned. You've blown it. But guess what? So have I. I've blown it too. Then you get to number three. Jesus died on the cross. Here's the good news. Everybody say good news. Thank you. The gospel means good news. So what you say, here's the good news. Jesus loved you so much he came to die on the cross so that all your sins could be paid in full and you could be born again and have a relationship with God. Now that's exciting. And you can share that with them. Well, what does that mean to be born again? Well, Nicodemus said the same thing. In John chapter 3, he didn't get it. Nicodemus said, to be born again, do I have to go back up into my mother's womb? Everybody go, gross. It's like sometimes if you read the Bible, it's kind of weird sometimes. This scholar of the Bible, in his mind, took Jesus' spiritual language and actually thought in himself, am I supposed to somehow get back up in here? That's what he said. Look at your neighbor and say, that's what he said. I didn't say it. I, I was brought up in Sunday school. I knew better. But then God said, no, Nicodemus, you're missing it. That was a physical birth. That's when you received your body from your parents. But you need a spiritual birth from your heavenly Father. And then he said, what is of the flesh only can give birth to flesh. But what is of the Spirit can give birth to spirit. And then he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word everlasting life, life there is Zoe, the God kind of life that never ends. And where does it start? Come on, tap yourself in your belly or your heart right now. It starts on the inside of you right now. And so we teach people to be born again. And that relationship that got cut off because of sin now starts today. The kingdom of God starts here. One day we'll have new bodies and live forever and see God face to face. But right here on this earth we have a treasure in a jar of clay, the Bible says. We see through a dim glass. We can make out the shape and figure of who God is. We can feel him on the inside. And that's how we live life. But one day the clay jar is going to get broken open and you're going to get your shine on. The glass will be cleaned and you will see him face to face. But Today, that relationship starts right now. Amen? And how do I get it? How do I get it? Well, John 3.16 says believe. Romans 10.10-13 10, 10 says believe. Mark 16 says believe. Just believe in Jesus and call on his name. Amen? How many are glad you came to church today? Amen. Now, what I want you to do with me is I want you to watch a video by Penn Gillette from the Vegas show Penn and Teller. Anybody ever heard of Penn and Teller? They're kind of the magic guys and all of that. And Penn is known for being an ardent atheist, has a hard heart towards God, mocks God, has a lot of bad YouTube videos out there. But Penn had an encounter with somebody who friendship evangelized him, a friend who shared the faith. Now, Penn is still an atheist, but I want you to hear his perspective in this video blog he made because I think so many of us, we're, we're always afraid of what people will think and offending our friends, and sometimes we don't think about it from their perspective. And so Penn, being an atheist, explains this in what I think is one of the best perspectives of how I believe your lost friends are probably even feeling right now and maybe not even telling you because they know in their heart what you're doing is special, even if they don't agree. And I think Penn had the guts to actually talk about it. So, Andrew, would you please watch this video? Uh, I'll play the video, and let's watch Penn talk about friendship evangelism. Oh, 
I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, uh, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, that's uh, not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And, uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize 
and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. Come on, let's give it up for that good man preaching the gospel in Las Vegas. I don't know what y'all were doing in Las Vegas, but that dude was preaching the gospel with some Bibles. I love what Penn said. Penn said, how much do you have to hate somebody to know there's a heaven and hell to not tell them about it? You see, we're thinking today, like, oh, I don't want to offend them. Oh, I don't want to get in their business. But if you actually believe there's a heaven and a hell, you not telling them is actually negligence. It's actually harmful to their soul. Would you put up the uh, PowerPoint for me, please? He gave the example of a truck barreling down on somebody in the middle of the street, and he said he would tackle them to get them out of the way. And that's why he said you know, proselytizing or preaching your faith is a must for anybody who believes it. The Bible says the same thing. Why? Because if it's true, it has devastating consequences if people don't do it. Here's another example I always love to use. Especially in Chicago, we live in these multiplex apartment complexes. Many of us, and Nancy and I lived one on here on Addison with, uh, you know, three in our building, but it's connected to another building with three, and basically they're all connected together. Imagine if one of those rooms caught on fire. That now we know with the Chicago fire, the way we've built so close together, even though now we have alleys, may not burn down the whole city, but we know these buildings can go up just like this. We've seen it before, even recently in a, with one of our members in the church, one of the buildings they were in, the whole thing went up very fast. The flames are in the building. You're one of the first people to find out that this is happening. Maybe it's in your next-door neighbor's apartment. Maybe it's in the person below you. But you find this out. You're one of the first people, and you know there's three, four, five, six other apartments in that building. What do you do? Do you stop and think to yourself, well, I don't want to interrupt their fun family night. I don't want to make them think I'm weird as I come screaming, knocking on their door. What would you do if you were in a burning building and you knew the people of that building were there and if they didn't get out, they would die? What would you do? You would rush in and tell them, wouldn't you? Would you get rid of your fear of people? Would you get rid of the uh, fear of people thinking you're crazy? Yes, because you would know that there was an actual devastation, an actual harm coming to their life. Let me tell you why I think most do not preach the gospel to their friends, because most of you truly don't believe and understand what hell is. Most of you truly do not understand. Why? Because it's negative. Most of us don't want to think about those kind of things. I get it. We want to go today, get some lunch, have some ice cream, walk by the lake. We don't want to think about right now there being a countless amount of past humans that were on this earth that are in right now a place of torment. My sister died drinking and driving. If she did not make her life right, she has been there since the day she died. 
Hitler, it did not make his right life right, is there. Mussolini, the world leaders, people that you and I know, if they have not made their life right with God, believe what the Bible said in Mark 16, they are condemned right now. And they're there. While you're here, they're there. They are a conscious soul. Minutes pass by like minutes to them because God has not taken away time and brought us into eternity. So they are in a place of waiting for the final judgment. And so time is passing just as it passes here. But there is no rest for their torment. There is no sleeping. There is no medication. There is no escaping from one painful part to a less painful part. They are in eternal torment right now. And we are living in a planet where countless millions, billions are headed there as well. See, now this is where the gospel rubber meets the road. Because if you don't believe that, this is not a priority to you. See, if you're that businessman and you're watching Penn & Teller in Las Vegas, don't you got better things to do than to waste that dude's time giving a Bible? Because if you don't believe in hell, I mean, you're in Las Vegas, let's have fun. But if you believe in hell, that means every opportunity you have to push somebody, tackle somebody, knock on their door and pull them out of that apartment, every time you have that chance, even if it's in Las Vegas, you're going to take that opportunity. Because when you get to heaven, you don't want people to look at you and say, why didn't you tell me? The old plays that we used to do in church, it's always the same skit. We would do it, and it would have four people in a car, and one's a Christian, and they're all out having fun. I've seen it done so many different ways. Four guys on the construction site going out for lunch. Four teenagers at a party. Four guys on the football team. I've seen it so many ways, and it always goes the same, and the skit is so true. They get into a car accident. All four die. They're up for judgment. God says to the one who knew about him and believed, says, now you go into everlasting happiness. And the young person or the worker, whoever it is, screams out, well, what about my friends? What about the three others? What about my coworker? What about my football mate? What about my family? What about these? And God says they didn't believe. They're going to perish. And as the skit goes, the scary demons come out, the scary music flames come on the screen, and they start dragging them away. And as they're dragging them away, the kids, the coworkers, they scream out, why didn't you tell me? Write this down, Ezekiel 33, please. Write it down. Ezekiel chapter 33 says, The blood of men will be upon our hands if we do not warn them of judgment to come. Paul used that same figurative language in the book of Acts. He said, I have preached to you the whole counsel of the gospel so that the blood of men's souls may not be in my hands. Yes, you cannot save them. You cannot make them go to church or to do what's right. But you can warn them of the fire, the truck coming. Can I hear an amen? Are you ready for the sermon now? Can somebody say preach it? I want that was the introduction. Now it's time for John chapter 4. It's time to preach. Hey, Amen. Praise God. Are y'all ready for church today? Hey, Amen. I always come with at least two or three sermons. Always two or three. Come on. Here it is. I'm just teasing. This is what we could call the conclusion, but it is the heart of it. Because once I feel I give you the introduction, you're ready for the heart of it. It doesn't take long. Look at John chapter 4, verse 1. How many think Jesus should be our example? Jesus showed us how to use friendship evangelism. I'll read through the passage quickly, but if you want to go back home and read it slowly, you can. But it's, it's a pretty simple story here. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. 
Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Jesus is now making disciples and baptizing them, but he's not personally doing it. His disciples are doing it because he preaches the gospel and people get baptized. That's what was supposed to be done. That's what Jesus did. You could call those things outreaches where he went out to the sea and went out to these different places and preached to mountainsides. So he got done with the big crusade, and a lot of people got saved. Now, verse 3, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judah and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. See, now Jesus is going to take a journey to go to Galilee, and to go to Galilee, he's going to pass through a town called Samaria. Samaria is a place where Jews mixed with the pagan nations of Assyria and Babylon, and so they were considered half-breeds to the Jewish people. Jewish people treated them with racism and despise because they were half Jew and half another race. But Jesus makes his opportunity to go right through this place as a Jew because he's going to tear down racial barriers and make friends not only with the Samaritan, but he's going to make friends with the Samaritan woman, which women were looked down upon that day, and so were Samaritans. But Jesus loves people. Come on, somebody say, Jesus loves me just the way I am, but too much to leave me that way. Oh, come on. You all half said it, but it, it was said. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, or weary beside the well, he goes. And there he sits down. It's about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town. Everybody say, His disciples had gone into the town. Amen. They went to go buy food. Now let's keep going. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Which is like what I was saying before. We're not supposed to talk. Jews don't like us, especially me being a woman. So why are you doing this? For the Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He said to her, will you give me something to drink? She goes, why are we even talking? We shouldn't even be talking. Jesus says, you don't even understand who I am. If you did know who I was, you'd be asking me for everlasting water. So Jesus is making a friend and talking about his kingdom. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. See, everybody always took Jesus' words literal. So she's thinking he's literally going to give her water like H2O. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it itself? As did also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will will become in him a spring of water welling up eternal, eternal, eternal life. So he says, this is natural water. Your body will always desire it. But spiritual water, I will satisfy you for eternity. Come on, somebody. I love Jesus. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. She's halfway there. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Somebody say, it gets real. Come on, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with ain't your husband, honey. Oh, don't you love Jesus? Don't that sound like your pastor a little bit there? 
just preaching to this woman. He says, what you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. So the woman says, okay, I want this water so I don't have to come back to the well. So she's, she's wanting it, but she still doesn't understand it's spiritual. And then Jesus says, go on back and get your husband then. And she says, oh, I don't got a husband. And Jesus says, that's right. You've had five. That means she's had five broken marriages, and then now the one she's shacking up with ain't her husband. I mean, I guess after the fifth time, you're going to stop going to the courthouse. Are you listening? So she just kind of gave up on marriage, and Jesus says, I know who you are. She goes, oh, you must be a prophet. See, the sign is following where Jesus says, keep going, verse 21. Jesus declared, he said, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. Everybody say, it's now come. Thank you when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. These are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit. So what kind of water was he offering? Spiritual water. God is spirit, and his true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus says a time is coming when you don't have to worry about going to church here or there, being about a different race and worrying about all this racism. God is of spirit, so he's looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit. That means with all of their heart on the inside and the truth of who he is. And then she said, well, I believe when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell me all about that. He said, woman, the one you're speaking to is that Messiah. Boom, shakalaka. Verse 39, the woman runs home. She gets all of her friends. Many of the Samaritans from the town then believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Then then they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard of ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Everybody say, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Amen. The story in a nutshell is that Jesus makes time to be with somebody that most people wouldn't have wanted to be with. He makes it personal and relational. He makes examples of the gospel clear to her in a way she can understand. He then exposes her sin so she can know the reason why she's not in that relationship with God. He answers some of her questions. He points her to himself because he is the Messiah. And then he multiplies what he did in her life in the whole town of Samaria. How many want to preach the gospel like that to your friends? Amen. I, I, I don't have a televangelist speech to give you. I'm not going to try to manipulate you and give you Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. We're just going to do what Jesus did. I'm, I'm just one more time. Can I get some encouragement today? How many want to do what Jesus did? Amen. That's it right there. I'm not trying to say I'm the best pastor in the whole world, but you see what I did? for. I just took what Jesus did and made it an example for you. That's what we need to do, friends. Here they are quickly in closing. If you want to see your friends, one to the Lord, co-workers, family members, pen and tellers as you go to Vegas. Come on. That's why I'm going to Vegas, Pastor. I've got to keep preaching to them. If you are going to want to see somebody, one to the Lord, you've got to be intentional to make time. Jesus didn't have to stop. His disciples kept going. But he stopped because he wanted to make time. You've got to stop and talk to the waiter, the waitress. 
You've got to stop and talk to your hairdresser. You've got to stop and talk to the coworker. You, you've got to make time with your kids or that son and daughter that's now moved out of the house. You've got to be intentional about it. This is not going to happen by accident. You need to think about a way to reach them intentionally. What's going to be the best way to make time with them? Is it a lunch break? Is it while she's cutting my hair? She has to be there. That's why one of the young ladies that comes to this church is my hairdresser because she has to cut my hair. What's she going to do? Cut my ear off? Hey, you want to come to church? No, I don't want to come to church. I'm going to tell you about it for the next 15 minutes because I'm paying you to cut my hair. What are, you, what are they going to say? You use your friendships intentionally. Jesus went intentionally to Samaria and intentionally sat down by that well because he knew somebody would come there. He knew that was a place he could make a friend. Number two, he was personal and he kept it real. Jesus said, hey, can you get me some water? I don't think Jesus was being fake. He was really saying, I'm pretty thirsty. And the Bible actually said he was tired. He sat down. He goes, man, it's been a long day walking on these desert roads. Man, my mouth is dry. Can you give me something to drink? We never hear if he got something to drink. I'm assuming he did while the conversation was happening. Otherwise, he would have been parched and had cotton mouth. But he kept it real. And so what I like to say is wakeboarding is a real hobby for me. So with my friends wakeboarding, I share my faith. And as I'm tired, tuckered out on the back of the boat while everybody else is doing cool tricks and I'm there breathing heavy like a beached walrus, just, you want to come to church with me next week? Can I tell you about Jesus? I'm serious. What's a real thing you like to do in life? Do you like to go to the lake and ride your bike? Do you sit down there and look at the beautiful, you know, the, the skyline and everything? Do you see family sitting next to you? Do you have friends that you go there with? Whatever you do in life, keep it real and do it with people you enjoy. And in those moments, share your faith. This doesn't have to be complicated. Some of you have hobbies. Some of you have family members. My wife would have coffee with her best friend, Pat, every single uh, day, a week, like a Tuesday. Pat would come over. They would have coffee. Through that friendship, being real, she shared her love for Jesus. Number three, use examples to make the gospel clear. Jesus is at a well. So he says salvation is like water. Well, she didn't get it at first, but Jesus kept repeating it. Eventually, she got it. So I could say to people, you know, wakeboarding, it's all fun, and you have to do all these things to get good tricks. Well, that's the same way in life. You have to become the person God wants you to be. You have to study to show yourself what's proof, and then you can catch some air for Jesus. Can I, I, you guys look at me crazy like that. Can you guys give me a break right here? I'm sorry. I don't have some sanctified pastor hobby. Like, you know, I don't know what else hobbies you guys would think are cool, but these are my hobbies. Somebody shout out a hobby that's cooler than wakeboarding or, or funner or something that wouldn't be weird. Shout out any hobby. Skydiving. Sky, now we're like extreme sports. Skydiving would be really easy to share your faith with your friends. Are you ready to meet Jesus? We're going out of this plane right now. Are you ready? The air doesn't hold you. You can't do anything about your own salvation. You need a parachute. Jesus is the parachute. Okay, other than wakeboarding extreme hobbies, does anybody have like a more normalized hobby to something they do in life? Basketball, basketball and tennis. There you go. We used to do something on the streets where we would give them three shots, uh, three tries. Every shot they would take, they would move back further. If they would make it, we would give them a prize. If they missed the shot, we would say, you, missed this, you lost at this game, but you can win at the game of life. As you just dunked on somebody, you can say, you just lost this game, but you can win in life. Come to Jesus Christ. You can do that. That would be an example. Now, if you just lost the game and you're now a loser, you could say, you know what? I'm a loser here. 
but I'm a winner with Jesus. I'm a winner with him. He gives me air because I'm going to go in the rapture. I don't know. I'm just thinking, okay? And then people start thinking you're weird and the gospel gets lost somewhere between the apocalypse and the four horsemen. Just keep it simple. Come on, somebody say, use examples. Thank you. Number four, be led by the Holy Spirit to expose sin. At some point, it's going to get awkward. At some point, you're going to have to tell them you're not okay without Jesus. Jesus said, go get your husband. Like, that was his way of doing it. Jesus, you know, was like getting into her business. You, you, if you're with your friends, you you know, you just play basketball at Saturday night, uh, Saturday afternoon, you could go, so where are you going tonight? You know, and they're like, well, I'm going to Boom Shakalaka Back It Up Club, you know. And you could go, let me just talk to you about that for a second here. Okay, you guys tracking with me? We, we use things in this world to show them their need for God, and sin is the greatest way we see our need for God because not everybody is poor, not everybody's hurting in life, not everybody's lonely, but sin is the thing that shows us we need God from the rich to the poor to the, to the bigger to the skinniers to everybody in between. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, amen? So we show them their sin. Next, number five, we need to prepare to answer their questions because how many know when we start talking about their life and and sin and God, they're going to start coming out with a hundred different questions. Well, why is there a hell? Because if God loved everybody, why would he send people there? I mean, if I love people, I wouldn't send them to hell. And why is there evil in the world? Why would a good God allow evil things to happen? Why did so many bad things happen to me? And why did that church I go to, they wasted all that money and bought a big fountain and drove a Rolls Royce? Why is it all these things, you know? And you're just like, shh. Let's just go one at a time and then try to answer their questions. You know, the reason why the pastor bought the fountain and a Rolls Royce is because he loved money and he'll go to hell and that's no excuse for you to go with him. Uh, why do bad things happen? Because people do bad things. Hitler wasn't, you know, uh, you know, God wasn't making Hitler do that. Hitler chose to do that. Why bad things happen to you? Because bad people are in your life and God wants to set you free from those bad people so you don't go to hell with them forever. And what's the other one, you know? And you try to just give them the answers. And what you're always doing, and there's number six, is you're pointing them to Jesus. Jesus is the answer for evil in the world. Jesus is the answer for bad churches and false religion in the world. Jesus is the answer for a life that's been full of pain and hurt. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Anybody remember that song? Come on, man. That's a good song right there. Rachel, can you sing that for us today? And then lastly, number seven, get ready for multiplication. Once you see one friend saved, they want to go back and get their other friend saved. That's why you're here today, because it keeps multiplying and multiplying. We keep sharing our faith, and that's why it keeps growing. You know, David Montes has shared, the, I share the faith with David Montes. David then shares it with uh, Melissa, and then uh, Bertha, and then Bertha shares it with her family. And then before you know it, the church is filling up, all just because I shared the faith with one person. Multiplication happens, Amen. Can you all stand to your feet with me? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today because he's using us. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for using us. Uh, Band, would you come, please? And as you're coming, Band, would you think about how to play the song, Jesus is the Answer? Do you know it? Let's give it up for Rachy Rach. Come on. Knowing that song right off top, you are awesome. The question I want to ask you in closing today is, are you really going to be, are you willing to be a true friend? You've heard the saying, drink, you know, drunk driving, real friends, true friends, don't let friends drive drunk. You know, and then people have turned it into funny things, you know, real friends, don't let friends eat at McDonald's, you know, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Real friends, don't let friends have hairdos like this, you know. 
But I want to ask you this in serious, in a serious way. Do real friends let friends go to hell without being warned? Do real friends do that? I know there will be people who will get angry and upset, and they may cut you out of their life. And that does happen, so I don't want to set up a false expectation. But my 16 years loving the Lord, and I think I'm pretty bold in my witness, you know, you you can probably see that I would probably offend a lot of people, right? You know, I'm pretty, pretty out there. Most people feel in my life the way Penn does. Most conversations I have had with, with people when it's done politely and it's done out of respect, most people say, well, that's your belief and I have my belief. That's the worst that they've said to me. I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, they'll go, well, that's just what you believe. Has anybody even heard that before as they shared their faith already? Isn't that what most people, well, you know, that's what you believe, this is what I believe. And that's okay, because remember, we're not here to convince them. We're not here to go, okay, God's on trial. You're the lawyer against God, and I'm the God. I'm on the lawyer's side for God, and we're going to argue it out, and we're going to make sure God wins. How many know God wins whether we defend him or not? How many know gravity is true whether you believe it or not? They can say, I don't believe, I don't believe. We can say, go up to the building, jump off, and say, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. You're still falling down. You can say throughout life, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in God, but he is a force of nature. You will experience him one day. Do friends, let friends go to hell without being warned. Are you willing to be a true friend today? In closing, I want you to think of three friends for this month that you can pray for, or excuse me, five, because we want to do the five for five. Five friends you can name and pray for and then invite to our Bring a Friend Sunday. Now, you can lead them to the Lord wherever you are because now you have the tools. You can pray with them right where they're at, and you can use our church evangelism. But I think it's time we start praying for some of our friends. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you bring them to our heart today? You love them more than we do. You love them so much. Bring five friends to our hearts today. Altar workers, would you come as we close out in prayer? And let's make a commitment for this month to pray one minute a day for each friend. Wow. A minute? Yeah, that's it. Are they worth it? I think so. I think your friend is worth 60 seconds a day of you lifting them up before God. Think of those names right now, how, how I'm going to pray, and you pray maybe a little different, but this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, God, you know John. You know Gwen, my next-door neighbors and their kids. Lord, I ask you to save them, to open their eyes, to see the truth of your gospel. Lord, you've done so many good things in their life. They're so talented. They have a great family. But, Lord, they've lost their faith and trust in you. Gwen's parents still serve you, and they're praying for her. And, Lord, I ask that Gwen will remember the faith of her family. And that John, God, who's never really understood God, never understood you, will begin to have a heart to understand you, to open up to you. And Lord, I pray that they'll come this Sunday, June 17th, as a friend and sit in this church and be an answer to our prayers. And Lord, they'll accept you into their lives. And I pray it will multiply from them to their children. Oh God, and give me the words to speak to them so they do not perish. It's about 60 seconds for one of my friend's family. 
Do you have those five names? Would you now pray 60 seconds for your friends? Just pick one of your friends and just pray for them. You don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to be in a preaching King James voice. Just lift them up. Say whatever you feel is important. Maybe you know some of the troubles they're facing. Just say, God, help them. I see them struggling financially. Their family's hurting. They're sick. Or, God, they're always complaining about such. And so, God, help them. Show them you're real. Set them free, God. And, of course, somewhere in that prayer, ask God to use you. I know we don't always have the right words. I stumble over my words all the time, but we can ask God to help us. He actually said in these times of preaching the gospel, he'll give us the words to say. Just about a few more seconds. Lord, we thank you for these friends you've given us. We're not going to yell at them. We're not going to be mean to them. We're not going to be dishonest. We're not going to compromise. We're just going to be a friend. We're just going to tell them the truth, God, and help us to do it in such a way that glorifies you. Bless us this week, God, as we go and hang out with those friends, work with those friends, see our friends. God, help us to be those witnesses. We pray, God, that you will use us to see souls saved in this city. In Jesus' name, if you believe God wants to save your friends, can I hear an amen? Can you bless them? today by faith and say a thank you Jesus because we believe it's going to happen. God bless you. Slap your neighbor high five and say go be a good friend. If you have any need of prayer we'll be a friend and pray with you. Come on up. We'll worship together with God and any prayer request we'll pray. Other than that you're dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for coming today friend. We'll see you at Life Groups.